0: Good morning, everybody. (laughs) I am so happy to be here. If I didn't have ears on the side of my head, my smile would wrap around my bald head. Uh, The um, strength of a church is often revealed in seasons of change. And, um, uh, you know, I walked into the church on uh, Wednesday. And I, I noted something interesting, Everett. The walls were still up. <laughs> Nothing had burned down. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Thank you. Because the Lord of the church is not the pastor, and He is the one that holds us together. Praise be to God. However, I'm very grateful that I'm a part of it. And I am privileged to be one of the pastors here at this wonderful uh, congregation. Um, I'm going to just say something briefly, because over the weeks and months ahead, I will take some time to get to know new faces, Um, and some of you have new faces. I don't know what that means. but also to just spend some time getting to know many of you that I have not as yet met. Um, I um, want to express my gratitude, and I say this with, with, I wish there was words to articulate, the gratitude I have for the many who stepped up to serve. Um, I know this has not been an easy time. I know that there has been challenges, but the strength of our church is in the people we have. And I thank God that we have people that can enable me to take the time to better prepare myself to serve the church. And I say to each one of you, you know you who you are, from those who clean the church to those who have preached it, and everything and everyone in between, thank you so much for the gift. Thank you so much for the confidence. And thank you so much for believing in me. I want to, however, preach because I haven't done it in four months and I'm going to pace myself. I was, told, I was told that the shortest message preached when I was away was eight minutes. I've had a serious word with that preacher <laughs> and he will not be preaching again. But this morning, I want to invite you. Um, to open your hearts and minds through a prayer, and I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll pray this prayer together, after which I'm going to read the Word of God and encourage you to stand until the end of that, and then you may be seated. So would you stand with me and let us pray this prayer uh, together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, That as your scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Isaiah 11, reading from verse 1 through to 10. Hear the word of the Lord. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. David is one of Israel's most beloved kings. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. "...the belt around his loins, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw, Like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jeshe shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Biblically speaking, the word peace is rendered in the Hebrew as shalom. And in the Greek, there's a counter word called, or a a synonym for the the Hebrew word, irene, and it has this, this, this meaning that I think is really important to start with before we even deal with Isaiah's peaceable kingdom. While peace, according to the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, can mean the absence of conflict or the end of a war, it actually also means that whatever has come to an end as conflict is replaced by something better. So to think about biblical peace is not just to think about the absence of conflict, but the presence of something very significant and very different. Job, anybody remember Job in the Old Testament? This is what he said. He says his tents are in shalom. It is whole, it is complete, it is restored, because he counted all his flocks, and nothing had been missing. So in the Old Testament, we get this idea that peace is not just about an interior kind of sentiment of calmness, but it is a peace that is about everything being where it needs to be, and everything being accounted for. Peace is also, about well-being. You remember David in the Old Testament? Uh, One of the most famous Bible stories I was taught as a child was when David fought. Oh, come on. You you should know that, right? (laughs) Do you know that when David showed up on the battlefield, the first thing he did before he would encounter Goliath is ask, inquire about the shalom Of his brothers." So peace in one sense is about wholeness, completeness, it is about well-being, but it is also restorative. For example, if an animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, or a contemporary example, if my lab retriever accidentally eats a new Persian rug in your house, you make shalom by paying for the damage that you've incurred to restore to the person that which has been lost. In the book of Proverbs, shalom means to heal broken relationships. You know, at this point in time, when we celebrate Advent and we talk about peace and we think about it, perhaps some of us are tempted to sell the perspective of peace short to something that we only receive or something that is only personal. But the Bible will have us understand that the kind of peace that God has always intended for humanity is complete. It is not just about me. It is about everything that he has made. It is about a world that he desires to put at peace with itself, a world that will lack nothing, a people that would be restored to fullness and wholeness, and anything less is to deny what Jesus came to do. Now, you may say to me, Stu, come on, be honest. I don't have to look too far to see that peace is as elusive as you going to the gym. Some of you really need to laugh at my jokes because if you don't, I'll preach until you do, and we'll be here a while. Some just laughed for that because they're like, "Yeah." And you say, Stu, you know, you can talk about peace all you want, but the reality is, is that you know, our world is teetering on the brink of war. Have you ever, have you ever just like, you know, studied history? You realize that even in, in eras or seasons of peace, men and women find creative ways to create conflict. Perhaps there's some of us here today who have purchased that t shirt of Amazon that says, Here Comes Trouble. For some reason, there's some people that has a predisposition towards conflict. Uh, Sometimes, I think, when we are honest with ourselves and we look beyond our own experience of life, we might become despairing, despairing of what we see in the world. I mean, I just say the word Ukraine and we groan at the senselessness of such loss of life. Think about the trouble in Yemen. Think about the problems and the wars in Kenya. Think about nuclearized nations today with leaders that we question their stability and their ability to lead, and we recognize that we are constantly living in a world that tells us the vision of Isaiah seems to be as far removed as it was for the people of God then as it is for us today. But maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know, Stu, it's one thing to look at the broader world. I can tell you that peace is elusive because when I look at my personal relationships, when I look within my household, when I look within my place of employment, when I look at the the, the relationships that are most meaningful to me, I even there discern the absence of peace. I listened, my wife would not have me watch our services online, by the way. Please pray for her. She had very good reason. But last week, she's not home, right? So I could watch it. <laughs> Some of you are like, is this the guy we just sent on sabbatical? I watched and I heard Pastor Terry preach Wasn't that a powerful sermon last week? And he made a comment about Advent. He says, Advent is a time for sobriety. Advent is a time for us to not deny the reality of the world in which we live. The trees and these beautiful flowers. Man, Kerry, this is phenomenal. These all speak to a longing of hope and peace, but it does not invite us as followers of Jesus, to pretend, to escape, to close our ears or our minds or our hearts to the reality of a broken world. Instead, it invites us to discern, like Isaiah helps the people to discern, that in the darkest moments of history, when Israel has failed miserably, when the people were split in two into a northern and a southern kingdom, and when the southern kingdom conspired with Assyria as an empire, who would not only vanquish the northern kingdom, but would make a way for the Babylonians to come and destroy the holy temple and take the very best of Israel into captivity, at times where everything seems to be lost and there is no hope, the God of Isaiah speaks a word of hope that out of the stump, out of that which seems to be an end, out of that which seems to be the result of disobedience after that which seems to be a loss and an end to the vitality of Abraham's family tree, a shoot shall arise because the hope of God for the world from beginning to end has survived all kinds of wars and atrocities and has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ to offer to us this hope that as dark as the world becomes, we ever hope in what may seem like a vault Vulnerable, tenuous Savior, but a true and living God that will one day reconcile all things and truly establish within us and in our world that which we long for, desire, and expect. It's the best I have. Peace. It is not only elusive, but it is misunderstood. Edward Hicks, in the painting that Beth will put up behind us, I've used this before, painted a picture called The Peaceable Kingdom. Anybody know nineteenth century Edward Hicks? Edward Hicks was a Quaker. The Quakers were a Christian movement established in the 17th century by George Fox as a peaceable movement of God. In fact, till this day, Quakers advance passivity in all forms and areas of life. They do not believe that at all, that the Christian message at all invites us towards violence no matter how we try to justify it and rationalize it today but those who studied edward hicks's painting maybe i should explain it a little bit it's isaiah 11 and then an addition on on the on my right hand side on your left side as you watch the image there are there are prey and predators with each other do you see that and in the midst of the prey and predators, there's also children. I these children are playing over the nesting holes of venomous snakes. Neither are the venomous snakes attacking them or the predators killing the prey. And in the background there, you'll see an image of Quaker Christians, European Christians, engaging in peaceful conversation with indigenous people. Edward Hicks understood that the vision Of Isaiah 11 was more than just the reconciliation of animals. It spoke to peace on earth in human relationships from different cultures and different perspectives. However, those who studied Edward Hicks's painting will point out that in the 62 plus renditions of the same painting that he painted, he became progressively dismayed at the lack of peace within his own life and within the very movement that that he was a part of. And so, his paintings began to reflect sharper teeth on the predators and sharper claws to indicate that the tension between what the Bible calls us to believe and the reality of the world in which he lived, even the Christian movement he was a part of, would suggest that predators remain predatory. I uh, can relate to Edward. Anybody else? I understand the tension. I understand the disappointment and even the despair. I understand what Edward was wrestling with. God, where is the peace? Where is the peaceable kingdom? When will we start to see that which you've promised you will do, a return to Eden, a return to the wholeness of creation? When will we see something like this? I want to just say a few things and then speak specifically about the text in five and a half minutes before I close. No laughing? Well, that's good. (laughs) You believe me. Peace has never been something that humanity can attain without God. Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he was going to give his disciples his peace. And he was going to give, him, give them a peace that was unlike the peace that the world gives. And then he admonishes them and he says, Don't be afraid or troubled. We read in the New Testament that peace is one of the gifts of God's Spirit to those who so desire it. And I want to say this morning that some of us have left the peace that God can give us unattended under our spiritual Christmas trees. Life does not have to be one defined by brokenness and strife. Life does not have to be one that is constantly pursuing the, the, the fulfillment of something in me through the pursuit of wealth, prosperity, success, admiration, affirmation, consolation. It does not have to be a life that is driven to find that which only is given to people as a gift from God above. To stand before you And to preach a message about the peace of God is one of the most challenging messages to preach because I, as pastor here, can testify that there's been far more days marked by restlessness, anxiety, and strife than believing and receiving the gift that Jesus breathes into his disciples and says, receive my peace. What if in this Advent season, this becomes your prayer? What if in this Advent season, instead of feeding that appetite to consume, to devour, to possess, you invited the Spirit? to change what seems to be natural and is so unnatural? What if this is a season in which God invites some of us to instead of cowering in fear over that which we think will consume us, overtake us? What if we learn to trust in the Spirit to enable within us a confidence and a peace so that we may graze alongside things that we have formerly feared. What if this is a season where the peace of God is breathed into us. Where the word of God no longer remains this distant, opaque, weird, Vision in the Old Testament, but becomes embodied in a people who allows the Spirit of God to do in them what only God can do. A people at peace is what the world needs as a witness. A church that embodies peace, not only in the interiority of your minds and your hearts and your emotions, but lives to be reconciled with all people so that we can bear witness to the unity that only God can bring. This is the season where God wants to take the vision of a peaceable kingdom and reenact it in the relationships of those who profess to follow the Prince of Peace." A vision of peace so radical that the image seems ridiculous. Seriously, Stu? (sighs) A wolf not consuming, not devouring, and a lamb having a carefree existence. <laughs> when I was a little boy, we lived on the acreage in South Africa, Cape Town. What heaven's going to be like in many ways. Not in all ways, but in many ways. Don't get jealous, okay? Just, <laughs> we're talking about peace. My dad was a strange man. He was a pastor, that explains it, right? And uh, he once sent me out. He said, uh, I need to cut down these trees, these little bushes. And he gave me a machete. I think I was probably like 12 or 13 years old. Don't do that. Don't, don't give 12 and 13-year-olds machetes. <laughs> and uh, I was out there cutting away look, these, uh, these bushes. And South Africa has some pretty venomous snakes. Um, I couldn't discern which was venomous or not. And I was standing like this, cutting this bush, and something slithered on the inside of my ankle. Now, anybody have seen a mole snake after it ate a mole? (laughs) I have a heart condition because of this moment in my life natural instinct natural instinct was to take the machete down to my my leg <laughs> thankfully i didn't instead i did what perhaps most of you would do i ran you know when i when i thought about this vision of isaiah 11 which is contingent upon the uh, the messiah king that is described in the beginning of it i recognized that we live in a world in which fear so shapes what we do and don't do. I realize that fear often stands in the way of peace and trust. Listen, I know I'm not being too exegetical with Isaiah 11, but I am back, so I hopefully have a few months to get up up to speed. But I, I feel like I just want to speak these words of hope to you that the vision that is portrayed in Isaiah 11 is not just a vision for predators to cease from becoming predators and the hope that God can change what seems to be natural inclinations towards violence and conflict in us. But the very Spirit is able to overcome fear. Think about this image. Listen, when my kids were little, My wife reminded me yesterday, she said, you know when Luke fell out of the apple tree, sorry son, I didn't ask permission, but it's out now. I'm so sorry. Wendy's on me. Um, (laughs) Fell out of the apple tree, and in his own words, he described it last night, hit every branch on the way down. I got so mad at him, and he's crying. And, you know, I've processed over the years. Some of you know my story. You know, I I experienced the tragic loss of my parents and brother and sister in a car accident. Um, I've become so protective over my family. You know, there's moms and dads here. You know what I'm talking about. If you've been in hard places and you've struggled through things, there's nothing worse than fearing something's going to happen to your child. Because there's an instinct that God puts in us. A, a desire that God raises within the heart of every parent that children don't understand until they become parents. An instinct to want to protect. And When I read the text, I said, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> a child playing over the, the hole of a, of a venomous snake. God, how could I ever get to the place... Of such trust in you that I can take my hands off, even my children, and believe in faith that the Spirit that Jesus gives his disciples is able is enabled within them to guide and lead them. If I stop believing this, if I allow fear to overwhelm me, I will keep them locked up in my home for as long as I can. But as they grow, and they are growing, look at him, he's taller than me, and it's not just his hair. (laughs) I'm saying, Lord, give me your peace. What is it that keeping you up? What is it that makes you worried? What is it that creates within you the restlessness of heart and soul and mind that only God, through His Spirit, can quell? A shoot shall come up from the stump of Jesse. We think Isaiah thought that would be the king that replaces Ahaz. There's some weird names in the Bible, man. I'm not going to mention some of the other names, but, you know, he <laughs> I think Isaiah thought that Hezekiah is going to be the one who's going to get them all straight. And Hezekiah was okay for a while. Uh, then he wasn't. And what Isaiah perhaps hoped for did not materialize in the person that he had hoped in, but according to the word of God, there came a day when Emmanuel stepped into the world. The one who is able to do for Israel whom God has not forgotten, and for the church today, what only he can do. He is a wonderful Savior. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the hope for the church and the hope for the world. And he gives himself to us freely. Do you bow your heads and close your eyes as you reflect upon this prayer that is accredited to a saint of the church, St. Francis, which we're really not sure if it actually was him who prayed it, but it's been accredited to him. I wonder as you listen, and if you are, if you find that closing your eyes is more of a distraction, we'll also have the prayer up on the screen. And I think some of you got a bookmark when you came in with a prayer on it. It is a. Uh, A prayer that I am praying in this season. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.